0: Following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Hey, if you have a Bible with me this morning, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 is where we are in our study. I want to join my voice with Pastor Michael uh, to say thank you for those of you who worked and volunteered and prayed and supported our Vacation Bible School this week. I uh, bring to you God's Word this morning knowing that some of you are going to have a very, very difficult time because uh, you have P-V-B-S-F-A-D-D. It's post-vacation Bible school fatigue and attention deficit disorder, and so uh, what the what the doctor has prescribed this morning is just two verses. All right, uh, we've been taking big chunks of uh, Hebrews, and oh, we've uh, we've really been forced to by the author who's writing the concepts of uh, of the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant. And uh, my hope and desire is some of this is really starting to make sense to you, and you're starting to understand the the incredible privilege it is to be new covenant Christians, to be born and live in a time in the age of the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, and having known that Jesus Christ is indeed our sacrifice, and that's what we've been looking at here in chapters. Eight and nine, and we come to the conclusion of chapter nine this morning. Just two verses, but these are these are iconic verses in Scripture. These are uh, these two verses are are full of theology. These two verses are going to refer to so many basic doctrinal truths that you really need to know these. In fact, uh, maybe we'll even memorize one of these together this morning. Verse 27 and 28, Hebrews chapter 9 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. He's he's already done that. That's what He came and did the first time. But to save those... Who are eagerly waiting for him. I want you to I want you to read and quote with me out loud this twenty this verse twenty-seven. Let's do this together. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. This is a, it's a verse that you should memorize and underline and highlight in your Bible. And what it does is it it frames the discussion of Of spiritual and eternal things for you. I know that many of you, uh, because I read your response cards each week and I have the wonderful privilege to pray for you, I know that many of you uh, each week, part of what you write as your prayer request is someone in your life that you love and care for uh, that doesn't know Christ. And many of us uh, in this room have got family members and dear friends and people that we know. That don't know Jesus Christ. If He were to return today, uh, they would be lost and separated from Him forever. And so, uh, I I want to encourage you as you look for the opportunity to share your faith. Sometimes it's difficult. It's it's sometimes difficult to get from uh, the fact that the Houston Astros are really really hot uh, to the fact that hell is really really hot. You know what I'm saying? Now listen, with the temperature we have had lately. I think you can go straight to some lessons on hell there, and I've thought about changing my preaching series, but but one of the keys in the Christian life is to is to get from trivial conversation to valuable conversation, to get someone who's living a a superficial life without Christ, uh, and to get them to think eternally, and and death is one of those things. Death is one of those things that when it strikes or when it gets close to us or when you attend a funeral, it's one of those things, it's one of those open doors where you can move people from living their life thinking that they will never die and not thinking about death to giving some thought to the fact that is there something more to life than you live it and you die and it's over. And so part of what we have here is the writer of Hebrews begins with reminding us that God has determined these things. He has appointed that there is a length to this life, and the mortality of man is an inescapable fact. Now, this is easy to do, and I'll do it with you this morning, and you can do it in conversation with your loved ones and friends, but... This is pretty easy to do. Here, let's do it this way. How, how many of you have ever been to a funeral? Let me see your hand. Look at that. That's a, 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 at this service, that's 100%. How many of you at this stage in your life have lost someone close to you unexpectedly? How many of you? That's already happened. See? I just, not everybody lives a full, long life uh, and then passes away. There are those unexpected deaths that reinforce the fact that, that the mortality of man is inescapable in that. here, Let's do it the other way around. How many of you know somebody who is a thousand years old? Could I see your hands? Donna, put your hand down. George is not that old. No, you you don't know anybody that's a thousand years old. You don't know anybody that's 500 years old. You don't know anybody that was here when the four founding forefathers signed the constitution. No, no nobody lives forever. And yet with all that being said, the average American doesn't have life insurance. The average American doesn't have a will and they are ill prepared in terms of retirement savings. Why is that? Everything around us reminds us that people die all the time. We're all going to die. The old joke is uh, you cannot avoid death and taxes. Well, taxes isn't referred to in the Bible except that we're supposed to pay it. But death is talked about a lot. In fact, the Scripture says the wages of sin... Is death. And so we know that dying is a part of what was brought upon us by Adam and Eve, but it was also brought upon us because God is a loving God. I, I don't know if you've ever gone full circle with it. So often we grieve about death and we're so sad about death and we, we shed tears over death, but for the, for the believer, death is a good thing. You know, without death, you'd be trapped in that body that you have forever and and it's decaying pretty rapidly, isn't it? It's a good thing. Death is a good thing. Our, our Lord is a loving God. He takes what's bad, and He makes it good. The Scripture says, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. The Scripture says, God takes all things and works them together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to His purpose. And death is one of those things. The Apostle Paul understood that. There was a time when he, he wrote and he said, you know what, I, if if, I, if death were a choice and I could choose to be in heaven or be here, I I choose to be in heaven. And it's not that I don't like you guys, but I choose heaven every time. But he says, right now God wants me here. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. This is really what we're all looking forward to, isn't it? And, and so many times we forget that in church life. We have prayer meetings and we spend all of our time praying for our loved ones who know Jesus to be healed so that they won't go to the heaven that we all want to go to. It's kind of backwards, isn't it? And in fact, if, if I really get terminally sick, just pray God will take me. Some of you, that'll be easy. Be like, oh yeah, get him out of here. But this is the, this is the process of life and death. It's an interesting verse. It for a long time I I couldn't figure out what the once was, and it's appointed unto man to die once, or the Old King James says once to die. I was what is that? Well, it's it's double meaning there. One of those is that Jesus died. Now we've read this phrase three, four, five times. Once for all. Part of the reason that we know that we are eternally secure is Jesus's satisfactory work on the cross that met the righteous and holy requirements of the Heavenly Father. He was able to do because He was perfect in a one-time act. The Old Testament covenant, uh, the Old Covenant priest could never do that. He, he'd bring he'd bring a lamb for you, shed His blood, and then when you sinned, what did you have to do? You had to come back and bring another lamb. And, and let's be honest, most of us would never have enough lambs. And we'd come back and come back and come back because the Old Covenant could never atone for our sins. It could never pay for our sins. It could only cover them. It could only point us to a day when a Messiah would come. But Jesus died once for all. And so there's that part of the imagery of this verse that it's appointed unto man to die once. The second part of it is this. I told you that it's part of God's will to bring death about, that it's a good thing that moves us from this earthly realm, this, this depraved realm, this wicked realm, this, uh, this realm that doesn't have the holiness of God. It, it moves us from here to there. It, it moves us to uh, love and life and eternal life. And so it is God's desire that you die once and live twice. I want you to think about it. Everybody on the planet either uh, lives uh, twice and dies once or lives once and dies twice. Let's walk that through for a second. Some of you are thinking, wait a second. You were born into this world. That's your first life. That's what God, that's what God brought about. You, you didn't have any choice in that. You, you came into this world. You didn't have any choice what, who your parents were. You didn't have any choice whether your parents were, you were born in America or, or if you're born in another country. You don't, have, you don't have any choice about that. And unless you take your own life by suicide, you don't have any choice about when you die. This is, these are appointed by God. The psalmist says, God numbers our days. Before you were ever born, Jeremiah said, when I was still in the womb, you called me. You've numbered our days. He, he, no, nobody ever dies, and God's so busy in heaven, and he's doing stuff. And, and then all of a sudden, you're at the gate, and he goes, oh, oh, we didn't expect you yet. That, that never happens. It doesn't happen for a, for a believer to get there, and then they go, oh, wow, wow we really don't see your reservation here. Uh, we can send you down to purgatory for a while until we get a room ready. That, that's not biblical. God doesn't blink. He doesn't make mistakes. In fact, the the psalmist says, uh, the, speaking of God, that the death of His saints are precious in His sight. He attends us from this earthly realm to the heavenly realm. I've uh, I've been in the room when some of God's saints went. I've I've seen them be in bed, lifeless. No, and We know they were going to pass it in moment. And I've seen them do this. I've seen them say, there's Jesus in the corner. I couldn't see him, but I think he was there. He, he, the, the idea that death is a scary thing, that you've got to travel alone, and that's not true for the saint. The Apostle Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Just like that, with the Lord. Nothing in between. No long, dark tunnel. With the Lord. That's what it is. So, so you're born into this world, then die once. But for those of us that know the Lord, what do we what do we go to? Death is just the, it's just you're just walking through the veil. You're just stepping through the other side. It's just, it's just graduation. And on the other side is something that the Bible calls eternal life. It's not, it's not temporary life. It's not partial life. It's like oh, I hope you make it. It's eternal life. So there's this life and eternal life and the death that moves us from this to the other. So you live twice and die once. But for the one who doesn't know the Lord, they live this life. They die. I've also been at those deathbeds. I've seen fear and anger. I've heard cursing right to the death. And then they go to an everlasting death. Not an everlasting life, but an everlasting death. That's what hell is. Hell's a place where you're always dying and never dead. It's a separation from God. So it's not just the physical death. There's so, so many in this world. Today, somewhere in this world, someone whose life is so terrible will take their life. And if they don't know Christ, they'll go out of the frying pan into the fire. It's not better where they're going. The idea that you put a gun to your head, squeeze the trigger, because this life is terrible, I want to tell you, I don't know how bad this life can be, but it cannot be the same as eternal separation in a place called hell. I've heard people say, I've had people say to me, I know I'm going to heaven because I've already lived through hell. I know this life can be bad. There are wars. There are, are abuses. There's molestation. There's children that starve. There's a guy in Syria that uses chemical weapons on his own people. I, I I know it can be depraved and wicked. But even in this world, there is the revelation of God. And wherever the people are, of God are, there's the love of God and the work of God. And so, I, I want you to understand, these are separate things. It's death for everyone, but death for the believer is a good thing. And death for the unbeliever is not. Now, in in terms of the Bible, if we we're just a if you and I just were to read it through, I'd say, Hey, you read it through this week, and I'll read it through this week, and let's pay attention to something. Let's notice how many times it talks about eternal judgment. In terms of the Bible, the certainty of eternal judgment is never in question. Not once. In fact, here in this verse again, look at it. It's appointed unto man to die once. That's the part that I've been talking about so far. But in a sense, that's not really the point of the verse. The death is just how you move to the real point of the verse. It's appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. There there is a judgment rendered by Jesus Christ. The Scripture says that the Father has committed all judgment into the hands of the Son. It's one of the reasons that we know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to the Father through him. The Scripture doesn't say that God's given all judgment into the hands of Muhammad. The Scripture doesn't say that God's given all judgment into the hands of a tribunal in which Joseph Smith sets upon. The Scripture says God's given all judgment into the hands of the Son. Jesus Christ is the judge of the universe. Now, the mistake that a lot of people make is they just think, well, there's one judgment, and when you get there, the judgment is you're in, you're in, you're in, you're out, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. That's not what the judgments are at all. If you read them biblically, you discover God already knows if you've received his son Jesus or not. If, you're, if you've received Christ, then, you're, then your name is written in the book of life. That's, that's already settled when you receive Jesus. The judgments are not to determine whether or not you're going to get in heaven or not. There's so many Montanans, and if, you'll, if you get to where you're sharing your faith, you'll discover this over and over and over again. And you finally say, well, if you were to die, do you know for certain you'd go to heaven? And they say, they'll say almost every time, I hope so. And, and when you get to the bottom of that, it's a false hope. When you get to the bottom of it, they go, well, you know, I try to be a good person and uh, you know i don't beat the wife i don't kick the dog and i put clothes on the back of my kids when they were home and they they'll tell you some stuff but it it's not founded in anything biblical the the scripture says john writes in first john five thirteen, these things i've written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life it is not God's desire that you live this life and just go, I hope, I hope, I hope. It is his desire. This is what writing, reading Hebrews is all about, that you know that Christ Jesus gave his life as a perfect sacrifice for your sins. And because he's perfect, because his sacrifice was perfect, because he's God, that can never be stolen away from you. You can know that. So what's the judgment for? If the judgment isn't determined... Who gets in and who gets out? What are they for? Well, well, there's actually two of them. Uh, hold your place there in Hebrews 9. We'll come back to it. But flip with me over just for a moment to uh, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation's easy to find. It's right before Maps and Concordance. Find Revelation chapter 20. Now there's a lot here in Revelation chapter 20. There's the thousand year reign. There's the... Uh, there's the final defeat of Satan. Believe it or not, he gets another crack at that after the thousand years, and uh, that's literally just given. It, it's given like four verses. I, we know we know way more about the Battle of Armageddon than this battle, and uh, it, it's just it's just over. Jesus just takes care of it, and then comes the judgment of the Great White Throne. Now this is the judgment. Of unbelievers, The judgment of the great white throne, there won't be a single believer there. This is just unbelievers. Here's what it says in verse 11, Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne. That's how it gets its name, right there. And him who was seated on it. We know that all judgment's been given to the Son. So we know that this is Jesus. This is the Son of God, not the Father. And the Scripture says, of Jesus... That from his presence that the earth and the sky fled away and there was no place found for them so we also know this is not jesus baby in a manger jesus this is not suffering servant isaiah 53 jesus this is not uh by his stripes we are healed jesus this isn't uh the jesus who lays down his life to take away the sins of the world this is the judge This is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is the God of the universe. And it says the earth and the sky looked for a place to flee and there was no place found for them. And he continues to write, it's the Apostle John, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. We're going to know for here in just a few moments, their name is not written in the book of the life. That's why, they're, that's why they're at the judgment of the great white throne. They're there because they never gave their lives to Christ. They rejected Jesus. They relied in their own works. They relied in who they were, or what they did, or, or something else. Or, or, or the, they just rejected the idea that there was a God. The atheists are there. Er, er, everybody's there. Whoever, whoever lived... And who died, but never gave their lives to Christ. The, scr- the the Scripture says to just show us that everybody's there in uh, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each and every one of them. It's an individual judgment according to what they had done. Now, it's not not like if they've done enough, they're going to get into heaven. It's already determined they're not. They've rejected Christ. They're judged according to what they have done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And then John just gives us this phrase. It's as if it doesn't belong there, and yet it explains it to us. This is the second death. Remember? Some will live once and die twice. The first death is a physical death. The second death is a spiritual death. The physical death is punctiliar. The, the physical death is, is a, a length of time in which you're dying and you're dead. The second death is eternal. It never ends. And it ends with this. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what are the books? The the book of life is the one that tells us who's given their life to Christ. The the books are the record of everything that you've ever done. And so these unbelievers are judged by what they've done to determine degrees of punishment. There will be some in hell whose degrees of punishment will be greater than others in hell that's what we're reading here there is there is a determination there's an evaluation called the judgment of the great white throne and no one here is being judged to go oh 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 yeah i see you belong in heaven that it's not that every single one of these spends eternity separated from god and that torment, that level of torment, that level of punishment is determined at the judgment of the great white throne. Where are the believers? The believers are at a different judgment. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll come back to Hebrews 9. We'll be there in just a little bit. Paul's writing uh, the Corinthians, and he's, he's really writing about heaven that's what he's writing about. He uh, lets us know that we're not really made for this earth, isn't it? Something that, as you, uh, as you know the Lord and as you grow in the Lord and you get more mature and you start to long for things of the Lord, isn't it interesting that the world becomes less and less and less satisfying, and you recognize you don't you don't really belong here. So you weren't made you weren't made for sin and and for the consequences of sin. You were made for perfect fellowship with God. and This is what Paul is writing about. When he gets to verse 6, this is what he says. In that context, he says, so, now he's writing to believers. This passage is all about believers. Last passage, unbelievers. This passage, so we're of good courage. Why why can't we be of good courage? We live in a fallen world. We lived on a depraved planet because we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. And here on this earth, we walk by faith, not by sight. There's that phrase, "If you've ever heard of it, if you've ever heard all, oh, we walk by faith, not by sight. This is where it's from. And yes, we are of good courage. He comes back to say it again, We'd rather be away from the body. We'd rather be at home with the Lord. But what we know, verse nine is, whether we're home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear." Now he's talking to believers. This isn't all in terms of unbelievers and believers. It's just believers. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is a different judgment. The judgment of the great white throne is for unbelievers. The judgment seat of Christ is for the children of God. This is a this is an entirely different thing. This is a, how can I explain this to you? This is like this is like no. You're, this is like being on the principal's honor roll list. This is a different kind of evaluation. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what's due for what he's done in the body. So, what we do here on earth matters. Now, the judgment of the great white throne is to determine degrees of punishment. The judgment seat of Christ, your punishment's already been paid. Christ Jesus went to the cross once for all. Your sins have already been paid. Jesus says, I remember them no more. Some of you have heard me use this illustration. Let me use it one more time. Remember when uh, Rosemary Woods, Secretary to President Nixon, erased the Watergate tapes? That's what that judgment will be for you. So there'll be, whenever you do good, whenever you did righteousness, whenever you obeyed the Lord, whenever you pleased Him, then your tape rolls. Whenever you sinned, the blood of Jesus had erased that tape. Now, the sad thing is, most of you might just have an erased tape. But we receive rewards. And then the Scripture says in Revelation, and we take those crowns. And we take those rewards. And we know that anything that we ever did good wasn't because of us. wasn't because of me. And we cast them in a beautiful worship service at the feet of Jesus. Those are two different judgments. But everyone stands before the judgment. Well, go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. I want to finish these two verses. It's appointed unto man to die once. This isn't just man, ladies. It's you too. It's mankind. It's appointed unto humankind to die once, and after that, the judgment. But verse 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he's referring to his first coming, will appear a second time. Now he's talking about his second coming. What is he going to do his second coming? Well, he's not going to deal with sin. He's already done that in the first coming. He's going to save those that are eagerly waiting for him. Now... Believe it or not, all the times that we get together and every time you do life group and every time you turn on the radio and you hear a, a, a preacher or you turn on the TV and you watch someone uh, preach the word of God. And as I teach it with you every week, the, the forgotten theme of the New Testament is that is the, the Jesus is returning again talk about love and peace and patience and we talk about how to do life and we talk about marriage and we talk about raising children and we talk about tithing and we talk about good works and we talk about the old covenant the new covenant but the thing that we don't talk enough about is the fact that jesus is coming again jesus is coming again and it is the reoccurring theme of your new testament uh, once again, if you and I said, hey, you read your New Testament this week, I'll read mine. Every time you see something about the return of Christ, you mark it down. You know what it would be? It would be basically one in every 27 verses. It's, it's the ongoing theme. You, you have to believe that when uh, Simon Peter and uh, James and John and the others of the disciples watched Jesus ascend, and they watched him go out of sight, and then two angels said, well... You, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus will come again just like you've seen him go. You have to think for the rest of their lives, whenever they got done with the meeting, whenever they got done with the Bible study, and whenever they walked outside, you have to believe every one of them went. Wouldn't you? Why would they do that? Because they knew he was returning. We don't live life that way. I'll bet you you go whole days and don't think about the return of Christ. Do you go whole weeks and not think about the return of Christ? Months? There are some believers in a backslidden condition. They walk out of here. We don't see them for a year or so. Are they thinking about the return of Christ? Would you live differently if you thought Christ was going to return soon? Would you find a way to get over and talk to that neighbor who doesn't know Jesus? Would you Would you call that loved one who's living outside of life with Christ? Would you plan next week differently if you knew that Christ was returning? The Scripture says it over and over and over again. We, we meet every December 24th on Christmas Eve. We have a Christmas Eve service to celebrate the first coming of Jesus. But we actually don't have a date for the second coming of Jesus. In fact, the Scripture says no one knows the date. And so since we don't know the date, and he hasn't come, what do we do? We forget about it. And we live life without thinking about it. Now, when he returns the second time, what is he returning to do? Let's, let's make it clear. He's not returning to deal with sin. He's already done that work. He's already accomplished that on the cross. He's already left an empty tomb. He's already ascended back to the throne of the Father. His work is complete. When He was on the cross and He said, It is finished. That work is done. What is is He going to do? He's returning as the one who's conquered sin. He doesn't return as the one who deals with sin, but He's conquered sin and death and Satan and hell, and He won all of that for us. So we... Who have received him, we who have given our lives to him, we should be eagerly awaiting his coming. There's there's really only a couple couple ways to wait. Have you ever just thought there's you wait for impending doom, you know, that's terrible waiting. And then you wait with excited anticipation. You, you sit in a little room with the open gown, waiting for the doctor to give you bad news. That's terrible waiting, you know. And you, and you know what they say while you're sitting there, that your medical coverage is like that hospital gown. You think you're covered, but you're not. But that's not the way we're supposed to wait. We're supposed to wait eagerly. Do you even remember being a kid on Christmas Eve? Do you remember the excitement of that? And the joy of it? And you were just about to pop? And there was tree and presents and goodies and candy and the family was together and that's that's what we're supposed to be. The Scripture says we're to be eagerly awaiting. Let's be honest. If you're hearing like, well, I don't want Jesus to come back before bow season. I want to get my elk. You, you ain't right. There's something wrong with that. We're, and we're that way, aren't we? So many of us, we, we love the world too much. But we're to be eagerly awaiting the coming Christ and living as if he may appear at any moment. And all of this, and much more that I didn't even have time to talk about, in two verses. Mark them down. They talk about death and life and judgment and salvation and the return of Christ and our response. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. I wonder if you're here this morning, have you ever given your life to Christ? If you're not, of course you're not eagerly waiting. You're probably fearful of what that would look like. And now that we've read about the judgment of the great white throne, don't you want to give your life to Christ? He's paid for all your sins. He's waiting for you. The Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can do that today. And if you don't know how to do that and the service is over, come find me or somebody else that you know that belongs here, and we'll be happy to show you how you can give your life to Christ. But really, this morning, believer, I was speaking to you. How is it that we're supposed to live our lives? Well we know that there's a death we know that's coming and we know if the death doesn't come that jesus christ is coming so either way we're going to be together with the lord in just a few short days the years will pass quickly if he even if he doesn't return and we're going to be with the lord how then should we live is not there something for you to do Isn't there someone that you need to share your faith with? Isn't it a time that you start thinking about serving one another and loving one another? Isn't it a time that you set selfishness aside? Isn't it a time that we live as the people who know that this life is short and then there's eternity? This morning, you can rededicate your life to the Lord. You can ask Him once again to forgive you of your sins. You can tell Him to remind you that He's coming again and you want to live with that. You can join us in life group. You can join us in service. You can join us with praying for missionaries like the Glessner. You can be a part of that kingdom of God which is working for his return. But if God's spoken to you and it's time that you change the way you live, this is the moment. This is the moment to do real business with God. Father, this morning you know every heart. You know everything about each and every one of us. You love each and every one of us as if there's only one of us. You've sent your Son, Jesus, to die for us. You've evidenced your love in that. Yet the Scripture says God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And so, Father, we pray this morning that we would live in that love. The love of not just the first coming of Christ, but of the certainty of eternal life and the second coming of Christ. With the knowing that for the believer, death isn't a bad thing, it's a good thing. But to live our lives knowing that these days here are short. Your word says life is like a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And so, Father, let us live our lives in a way that has eternal value before these days are over. Now, Father, as you speak to each one of us, we know that there are other burdens in this room. Heavy burdens. We know some are are sad. We know some are rejoicing. So, Father, we... We cry with those who cry. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we pray that as the family of God, we would begin to live in such a way that would bring you glory and honor. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.